0: This program is brought to you by Stanford on iTunes U
1: at Stanford University. Please visit us at itunes.stanford.edu.
0: This presentation is delivered by the Stanford Center for Professional Development, providing graduate-level education to working professionals online, on campus, and on site. For more information, please visit study.stanford.edu. I'm uh, Jim Plummer, the Dean of the School of Engineering. I wanted to welcome all of you here uh, for what is really, I think, a a special event this afternoon. We're delighted to have Betty Shanahan with us, who, as you can see from the screen up here, is the Executive Director and the CEO of the Society for uh, Women Engineers. Uh, I wanted to read to you uh, what the mission of SWE is. For many of you, I'm sure, know, but the, the mission of SWE is to help women achieve their full potential in careers as engineers and leaders, to expand the image of the engineering profession as a positive force in improving the quality of life, and to demonstrate the value of diversity. About uh, two months ago, I was up in San Francisco at a meeting of engineering deans, and there were probably 100, 150 of us in the audience, I think, and Betty was one of the speakers, and I'd never met her prior to that, but she spoke about this topic uh, to a collection of people who most mostly look like me, you know, sort of elderly, white, middle, you know, <laughs> male uh, deans. And and it was quite interesting because the the things that Betty talked about uh, were were revealing to me to sort of understand uh, sort of how girls and women think about engineering as a profession. And so I thought it would be really worthwhile to have Betty come and to uh, tell all of you some of the same things that I heard a couple of months ago. and also provides an opportunity for questions and we're going to spend the afternoon today with uh, her interacting with some of the student groups uh, here on campus, uh, especially some of the women's groups. So I think this is an opportunity for all of us to learn from each other, an opportunity for all of us to think about uh, diversity in our student body and our faculty in the School of Engineering and to think about things we might do that would actually uh, help us to be better than we are in, in all those regards. Betty actually, before she joined SWE, uh, was actually a practicing engineer for 24 years. And she's been in both the product development side of engineering and also in the marketing side of engineering. She worked at a variety of companies, and I guess most recently, before she uh, joined SWE, she was the vice president of product management and marketing at a software at the software components division of Stellant, Incorporated. She's also a member of the IEEE and the and ACM and the um, American Society of Association Executives. So please join me with a warm welcome
1: for Betty Shannon. Well, thank you, thank you, Dean Plummer, and thank you everybody for taking time out of your busy day to uh, talk about this topic. Uh, the dean already gave a little bit of an introduction of SWE. Uh, I'll just kind of point out that we were founded in one thousand, nine hundred and fifty by that group of women engineers and engineering students, and uh, we try and capture our mission with our tagline of Aspire, Advance, Achieve, where Aspire is about the outreach to young women, so they consider careers in engineering. Advance is for, from the moment a young woman crosses the college threshold until the day she retires, she's more likely to drop out of engineering than her male counterparts. So our Advance is about supporting women in their careers. And then Achieve is about uh, recognizing women for their accomplishments, both as engineers and as leaders in the uh, in industry and the engineering profession. Now, you s- notice that we were founded in 1950, and you'd say, wow, if someone's been around for 55 years, you'd think by now we'd have the problem solved. <laughs> but unfortunately, we haven't, and that's one of the reasons I'm very glad we're here because SWE as an organization can only do so much. Who's really going to make a difference in diversity in engineering are going to be the academic institutions that uh, create the engineers and do the research and the industry uh, that employs engineers. So to me it's very very powerful that your Dean has invited me here and that so many of you are here to, to listen to this. I think all of us working together can make a difference. Uh, SWE as an organization comes from um, all engineering and technology disciplines and Stanford has a very, very strong SWE uh, student section. We have uh, 19,000 members throughout the country, about 60% of those are students. Now with that, uh, I'd like to just spend just a little bit of time uh, setting the context for what we're going to be talking about today. And this data is from the Commission on, on Professionals in Science and Technology, CPST. And what's really disturbing when you look at this data is this is the first year undergraduate engineering enrollments is that the percentage of women in engineering, enrolling in engineering has been dropping. The same is also true for African-Americans. And what's particularly disturbing about this data is for both of those groups the percentage of women enrolling in undergraduate programs in general is rising. So our trend is actually opposite what women are doing in general. So uh, that's sort of our context. And over time, what we've been saying in the past, I think we've sort of had a folklore that the reason women don't choose engineering as a career is because somewhere in like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, they got discouraged from taking math and science, and they simply weren't prepared. And uh, over time, you could see that traditionally uh, AP uh, math and science uh, test takers we're tending to be more men, but there's been a real push in recent time to the point that in 2004 we can see that women are pretty much in parity in taking AP math and science. If that's any kind of measure of, uh, women, of women being interested in those fields, but what's sad is even though these academically prepared uh, girls, uh, these girls are academically prepared, they are not choosing engineering and technology as professions. And only 15% of the computer science AP test takers were girls. So the thing a lot of the question is what's going on there. And I think there's a set of related recruitment and retention issues. And I'm going to talk a little bit about recruitment into engineering and more about retention because I think both of those issues are important to you as an academic institution, but retention's probably a little closer. And uh, those issues deal with uh, self-confidence. Uh, the interest that girls have in our profession and the perceptions of the the perception. And as an institution and as a profession I think we need to step back and say if we continue to put the same inputs into the same process we can't expect different outputs. And uh, I feel so often we keep trying to to look for a different output when nothing else is changing. Now let me preface this by saying I'm standing on the shoulder of giants. There is no new information that I'm presenting here. I think the value that I'm bringing you is pulling together a lot of uh, different uh, researchers' works and presenting them, and many of them are actually have pulled together a lot of different researchers' work. So I'm standing on the, the shoulders of giants there, and I'll be referencing these uh, pieces as I'm going th- uh, through. I'd like you to note that actually uh, one of the, the people I like to reference is actually Joanne Martin, who's from Stanford's uh, GSB. I also want to make a few uh, kind of general comments. First of all, be, I'm going to be talking about generalities. I'm going to be talking about trends. This is how women behave. Or this might be how an underrepresented group behaves. These are generalities. Any specific individual may be behave differently. And you may see a man who would have these characteristics that I, I would call the traditional for women. Uh, I also uh, should note too that often a lot of these characteristics that apply to women often resonate with other underrepresented groups. I was giving a talk at uh, University of Maryland uh, a couple months ago and a young man from Africa came up to me and he said, everything you said is, is, uh, is exactly what my culture is about. So that uh, a lot of the, the issues we talk about for inclusiveness for women would also impact a lot of other underrepresented groups. Uh, Right now, too, I have, I think, an interesting situation as I give this talk in that there's sort of two audiences. So I was thinking about the time where you go see a a one-person play and that one person has to do all these roles. Well, I have the opposite. I have have multiple audiences out here, and so I'm going to give multiple talks at the same time. We have faculty and students. We have men and women. And I think if you kind of observe the people around you that are different than you, you may get some more insight into the talk. I had a chance to speak uh, to a group of uh, technology educators, and there happened to be a woman uh, graduate student who was doing some gender work in the audience. And some of the the men I was talking to there had said um, I was having kind of some difficulty understanding what I was uh, talking about. And she came up to me afterwards, and she said, "I just wanted to shout, Amen." After everything you said, and then she said, "And how do I get you to talk to my professors?" And, and about two weeks later, I was at the uh, that Engineering Dean's Institute. So I would like uh, some of you who may, you know, kind of struggle a little bit with what I'm saying, to look at some of the other people around you and see how it's resonating with them. For the women in the audience, uh, some of the research I talk about, I actually feel is power for us. I think knowledge is power, and if we understand why we behave some of the ways we do. Then we'll understand and, and what the environment is like. Then we just have a problem to solve: how do we behave that's appropriate to the environment? Now I say that very trivially, and a lot of what I talk about can be very, very hard because it's not authentic to who we are as women. So, you know, as much as I say it's just a problem to solve, I will also say that some of the things I talk about, some of the ways we have to behave to be effective in a male-dominated environment, are hard for us. Cause queasy stomachs, cause you to stay up all, uh, stay awake at night. But uh, that knowledge is still power. For the faculty that are here, you are the ones, I think, that have a real opportunity to change the environment. And I firmly believe that the huge majority of people in industry, people in academia, want to make a difference. They want an inclusive environment. They don't know what that means. So that's a lot of what I'm going to be talking about today, is to give you some of that uh, background, to give you an inclusive environment. So with that, let me start talking to some of the men in the room (laughs) and ask you to suspend your lifelong paradigm of what your engineering classroom is like, what your lab is like, uh, what uh, the School of Engineering is like, because this is what in spite of what this audience looks like today, this is, uh, this is what it looks like every day. And it is hard to be those little green guys. <laughs> so let me start to talk about some of the the issues that, that make it hard. One is uh, self-confidence for, um, for girls. There's some great work by Jacqueline Eccles out of the University of Michigan. She did a longitudinal study on adolescents and their career choices and uh, th- what influenced them. And uh, her research has shown that young women are more likely than young men to have lower opinion of their abilities in math and science and in their general intellectual abilities, even though young women had higher college GPAs than young men. I I like to tell this to women because a lot of times we look at our male colleagues and they're they're kind of doing the NFL touchdown dance when they come out of an exam. (laughs) And and you're like, wow, I thought it was hard. And they're doing it because they passed. So when we, so when we, you know, we kind of we can be can be very hard on ourselves. Uh, one woman came up to me and said she couldn't understand why her study partner was so happy with his exams because she she wasn't happy with hers and she thought she was doing better than him and so she found out that basically he was passing and that was good enough for him, but uh, but because of that we come in with less confidence. Also, what's really scary is that often our parents un- unwittingly have uh, undermined our confidence by some of the messages they give us. And uh, they do that through a few uh, ways. Uh, echoes has shown that even though girls get better math grades than, than boys, the parents of girls report that math was more difficult for their child than the parents of sons. The parents of daughters said their girls had to work harder to do well in math than parents of sons, even though teachers said that this was not true. Girls and their parents reported that girls worked harder in math than in English, but student diary shows that both boys and girls spent more time on language arts than on math. And finally, and this I think the most important one for the math success of boys, parents relate a talent and effort as equally important. For the math success of girls, parents said hard work was much more important than math talent. So if you start to think of the messages that all, that so many women carry in the back of their heads, be they uh, high school girls making a career choice, be they uh, college students sitting in a classroom, or women in industry, uh, as we sit here, what's in the back of our mind isn't that we're good at this, it's that we worked hard at this. and And that's where our success comes from. So when we go to recruit uh, young women into engineering, uh, what is it that young women want? (coughs) Well, uh, WGBH did a great study for the Extraordinary Women Engineering uh, Project. And this study was talking to those academically prepared girls I was talking to you about. These are the girls who are taking advanced math and science in high school. These are girls who are totally capable of getting into a school like Stanford. And yet, what what do the girls want? Well, they want jobs so that enjoy what they're doing, a good work environment, making a difference in society. And with Gen Y, for the boys, this is becoming more and more of an issue. The whole generation wants to make a difference to society. They want a good income and they want flexibility in their job. What do we as a profession tell them? It's a challenge. Go for it. It's difficult, but rewarding. So everything we just put in those girls' heads that says, You're you're not talented. It's not about your talent. It's about how hard you work. We're going to tell you this profession is even even harder than that. Why would anyone choose engineering? Talks about the use of math and science to solve problems. And then my favorite thing is, you know, how do we go out and talk to a teenager? Well, we start with the litany. There's electrical engineers and civil engineers and mechanical engineers. And by the time we're done, we're bored. Never mind the, the teenager. As opposed to talking about what is it that, that we do? Uh, so academically prepared girls think that engineering is for people who love both math and science. Now granted, I, you know, I don't think anyone in this room would disagree that you have to be pretty competent in math and science. But engineering and technology is not about math and science. That's what mathematicians and scientists do. It's about using those disciplines as tools to innovate, to design, to create, to problem-solve. And we don't talk about that. And what's really scary is if you go out in your career ways, you know, I'm embarrassed to think how much math and science I've forgotten because I didn't (laughs) use them regularly in my job. That what really is about um, uh, innovation and design. They don't know what engineering is at all. They just don't get any information. they don't think it's for them. The messages uh, that the girls get basically say this isn't a feel for them, they don't know why it's not for them because they don't know what it is but it's not for them. And a lot of that comes from their teachers too and the American Society of Engineering Education has a great report called Engineering in the K-12 through Classroom and those, uh, if you're all interested in, in what teachers' uh, perceptions are, you can just download this report from the web, it's great. But Teachers extol engineering in the abstract, they think it's a great profession except for their students and especially for females and minorities. They don't think they can succeed in the engineering world. And then when the teachers are asked what majors are more difficult, and I won't read all these numbers out to you, but they basically ask is engineering more difficult than these other fields in college? Uh, The teachers pretty much overwhelmingly say, like for example English, almost two-thirds say, uh, agree or strongly agree that, English, uh, that engineering is more difficult than English. Now, I don't know how well all of you in the room here do in your English classes, but I didn't find that the case. It's, it's that the teachers are presenting this information, they're not saying for whom is this more difficult. Maybe for, for their perceptions coming from an education background. But once again, what messages do we give? Engineering is hard. So what do we need to do when we uh, reach out and if you talk to students? And especially for some of you that, you know, are SWE members here in the room or get involved with the the school's outreach, I think you can be great representatives of the profession if you look at the messages that you sent. Effective messages talk about uh, multiple career motivators, talk uh, about what difference we make, talk about the financial rewards. Uh, high school girls react positively to very uh, personal stories and informational stories. They, they want to know what the day is like. They don't want to know the, uh, the litany of disciplines. And how uh, this, your day-by-day work life is going to align with what they're looking for in a job. Uh, at SWE, we're really working to change our uh, marketing collateral to young people to really start to reflect that. Um, the left brochure we actually buy from ASEE uh, on uh, engineering as a profession. And this is a new brochure we did in conjunction with Ford, where we, what we really talk about are what kind of products are out there. We talk about working in the environment. We talk about working in transportation. And only as a secondary thought, uh, sort of mention what disciplines those support. We also want to get them the message that uh, how fast jobs in engineering and technology are growing the whole issue of outsourcing has the general public believing that all the jobs are about to disappear overseas rather than realizing that actually this is one of the fastest growing job areas. Uh, for, for anybody, but particularly for first uh, generation to college, uh, engineering has a great story that we don't tell about how far you can get in a career with just a four-year degree and the types of uh, salaries associated with it. How, how many career options there are uh, that even if you understand what a stereotypical engineer is, maybe someone that's in design or manufacturing, that you can have strong careers in, in academia. And I think the, the faculty in this room probably agree that they probably have a uh, much more lucrative and interesting career than uh, some of their colleagues in, a, in other uh, colleges. That you can get your advanced degrees while pursue, uh, by working. That, uh, great opportunities in, in management, business, law, And finally, really stress the importance of what we do, that we are the people that bring uh, life-saving products, that bring entertainment, that bring quality of life to to everybody around the world. So with that kind of uh, quick discussion on uh, recruitment, like to uh, jump into retention, although some of the research will carry over here. So let's say we actually have finally got some young women interested in engineering. And what do we do? We bring them into the engineering school. And what do they see? Male administration, male faculty, male classmates. It looks like this. (laughs) So I want to spend some time just looking at uh, some of the research that uh, talks about what we can do that even while things look like this, Uh, we can create an environment that's more inclusive and start to to change the the picture a little bit. I'm actually going to start with um, the the authenticity problem which is hard for someone from Chicago to say. Uh, uh, There's some work that I I lifted from um, Joanne Martin from Stanford's GSB. And what her uh, uh, issue is and I think it's kind of like a premise of a lot of what we do at SWE is that women are uncomfortable in male-dominated cultures and she has an example in some of her work that was from a a female executive the only female executive in a large technology company where she said it takes too much energy to pretend to be someone other than you than you are they were advising me to be less open less participative less cooperative to to be not the way i am it was a real dilemma for me and i think that's one of the real challenges for women is we live with our paradigm. As much as I talked about the male paradigm, we have our paradigm in our heads. It's unspoken, unrecognized by, by even us, and somehow we don't. We, we get in this dilemma of I need to be like this, but I I want to be who I am. And uh, and for uh, minority women. This also carries an extra burden because they're carrying the uh, the same authenticity of who they are as their ethnic or racial group uh, in an Anglo dominated culture. So what happens is often women just quit. The frustration of trying to to live this dilemma uh, becomes too much and they drop out. So the classic remedy is is fix the women with training uh, on all kinds of skills to fit into the culture. And we at SWE do a lot of that. And throughout this talk, I'll be talking to women about how to be effective. But for those of you who can change the culture, which in, in big ways or small ways is everybody in this room, is uh, changing the culture so that it's inclusive to who we are as, as women. And, uh, and that our goal is not to turn women into a group of uh, wh- white men in high heels, but actually to keep, to keep them as women. And, this is, you know, it, it, this may sound simple, but I think it's actually very challenging. I sat with, um, in an hour and a half session uh, a couple years ago and there was a professor from an East Coast uh, University there and he was there with one of his graduate students and he came into the this, this session saying he wanted to, you know, learn how to make his female graduate students successful and we had a whole discussion about uh, women don't ask that uh, women wait to be invited. Women don't ask for class assignments. Women don't ask for promotions. Women uh, don't ask for a professor's time. Women just don't ask, and they wait to be invited. They wait for their work to speak up for them. And at the end of this whole discussion, he said, well, that's easy, just tell them to ask. And, <laughs> and when he missed the whole point of asking is so hard for, for us because it's totally against our, our nature. As well as this, there's the, the pressure of being for, uh, one of the first. And I love this quote from Claire Booth Luce. Being I am a woman, I must make unusual efforts to succeed. If I fail, no one will ever no one will say she doesn't have what it takes. They will say women don't have what it takes. And it was interesting when Carly Fiorina uh, left Hewlett-Packard last year. Our, now, SWE is not like the first place the major news agencies call when there's a breaking story in business. <laughs> but uh, our phone was ringing press wanted to talk to us about Carly leaving HP. The issue of her being a woman was so central to that story, yet I just read the other day that last year was one of the uh, highest turnover rates of CEOs in many years. Yet none of, as all these male CEOs left their positions, there wasn't the same flurry about the fact that that they were men. uh, So I think all women in, uh, in a male-dominated environment, just carry this extra pressure that if I don't succeed, those, uh, every other woman that comes after me is going to be uh, somehow less. less uh, this is a little bit of a smorgasbord here. I'm kind of jumping from topic to topic so I can get a lot of information uh, out. So I'm going to kind of do a jerky transition here to talk about stereotype threats. Uh, this is uh, work that was done by Steele and Aronson in, in 1995, and um, uh, one of my earlier references uh, has done some, some follow-up work on how to get around stereotype threats. And this is when individuals feel that they may be judged uh, in terms of a negative stereotype, and then they inadvertently start to confir- confirm that stereotype. Um, it affects women's uh, performance in the math and science in, in terms of lower test scores, self-confidence, and their interest in taking either the topics or leadership roles. Stereotype threat is also uh, uh, seen in uh, minority students in just in general intellectual performance. And when when you're in a situation of stereotype threat, it's uh, wh- where uh, a task is being framed in terms of some kind of measure of ability and that you're kind of being reminded of gender or race. So let me, I guess, you know, being engineers, let's do it with a graph, which is a little easier to explain it. Um, The one on the left here, uh, this is uh, for minorities, whites and black. And just by describing a test, the same test as a test of verbal abilities or a lab exercise, you get uh, blacks to perform a different way. Uh, For gender here, for uh, men and women, take the same test to have it be a test of math ability or, or define it as a test of problem solving. And, be, and by referencing it, that, it's a, you know, that you understand that gender has, plays an issue here, the women will uh, score better when it's framed as a problem solving test. Now, I want you to remember this one because we'll come back to, to this uh, uh, test a little later. So how do you get around stereotype threat? Well, the first thing is to understand that it's even there, which is one of the reasons I like to talk about it uh, when I'm with all women's groups. Because if we go into a situation realizing that we're going to feel the pressure of, of the stereotype threat, then we can become conscious of it, and, and that in and of itself can minimize stereotype threat. Some of the research shows uh, uh, benefits of creating, uh, of having role models around you. Uh, Uh, Take a test uh, and run it by a competent male or competent female. And women perform better when there's a competent female as their role model. Uh, Taking it so that uh, you're not in the minority, that there's a large group, and that can impact your results. This starts to become very interesting when we're in an engineering uh, academic environment where there's not a lot of women faculty, there's there's not a a lot of uh, female role models in the university. And uh, we need to almost like create environments so that, uh, role, that we consciously give role models to students. One of the big things I think SWE is very, very good at for all of you uh, students in the, in the room is creating an environment where you find people like you, where you'll find role models in your peers, and uh, other the women in uh, faculty and administration and women outside of the, of the university but in industry. So that you start to realize, hey, there are successful women out there. Uh, to, uh, to work against the threat, I already talked about speaking out against the stereotype. Uh, faculty should set high standards but assure students that they, ca- that they can meet them. Uh, so often, it, the most frustrating thing to hear in 2006 is that we need to lower standards to get underrepresented groups into, um, into an organization or into a pool. Uh, I think first of all that kind of forgets the, the value that we bring of diversity. The definition of uh, what somebody brings is uh, the sort of this white Anglo male definition. And not realizing the values that can be that are not being measured, but uh, but secondly, just this sort of in, uh, underlying assumption that somehow the rest of us are not as good uh, is is very challenging. So uh, I think for faculty, we got to be very careful that you don't give a message that somehow uh, we have different standards just because uh, you're from an underrepresented group. Emphasize skill over ability. This is, I think, a huge challenge for women when we enter an engineering program because, you know, we sort of have this sense that men were like hatched out of a big egg knowing all kinds of mechanical skills and know how to use tools. And you show up in a lab and you don't know how to do these things. And, um, and it's almost like, you know, second nature. It's like breathing for the men. So the... Uh, the first thing we feel like is, wow, these guys know something. When I was in college, probably the most famous professor I had um, was teaching transistor theory. And he did a lot of the early work on transistors. He taught to the guys who built stereos. I, didn't, I, didn't, I only had the money for a little portable radio. So uh, never mind building a big component stereo system. So I just spent that entire class being lost as he kept uh, referring to all these, these stereo systems that I... I'd only seen in a, um, in other guy, in guy's rooms and I had the sense that you know somehow guys had some part of their brain that knew how to put stereo systems together. And I saw that I got married and uh, <laughs> and he's uh, and I found that it's much easier to uh, to get your husband to do it than to build it yourself. But uh, but the, I think the important thing is realizing that this isn't some God-given traits that these are skills that can be learned but we just come in with a uh, deficit and that we haven't had the opportunity to learn it and that learning is an incremental process so that even though we may be lagging entering a program we can catch up. And foster a sense of belonging. Uh, Have students understand that things are hard. You will fail. You don't always get straight A's. One of the real challenges women face is this expectation that uh, I I have to get A's. If I don't get A's, I'm failing. And a lot of this stuff, in spite of what I was saying earlier, is challenging, is hard. And uh, I would never go on the record of saying, don't do your best work. But B and C students should not be considering dropping out of uh, engineering programs because of their grades. And one of the things that... um, I'm starting to go on record of uh, is I cried over my first few report cards in college because the grades weren't there. And a woman named Wendy Baker is why I stayed in engineering, not my self-confidence. She, she kept me staying in. So if there's any message I can get out to any of the young women or any students that are uh, struggling because they're walking in with B's and C's is to, to not give up in the profession. Uh, encourage you to work as hard as you can, because uh, it helps with that first job. But it's still a very rewarding profession. And this, the little secret is after your first job, no one has your GPA again. <laughs> <laughs> so let me go back to some of those um, uh, examples. This is that math test again. And it's talking about um, changing the messages. That first of all, uh, that intelligence is incremental, that you weren't hatched with this knowledge, that you can learn it. Uh, oh, basically, I should frame this. These are a group of students get a series of messages for a year repeated to them, sort of, you know, constant school, rela- school public service announcements. One message is on this intelligence is incremental. One is that experiencing difficulty is normal. And then the control group is uh, just an anti-drug message. For, I <laughs> <laughs> you got to have a control group. I know that much about social science. And, and what's, what's interesting, though, is that when you look at that, that the, um, it does, those messages do make make a difference to the, uh, the performance. OK, uh, I'm going to switch gears again and talk about what to me is one of the most powerful things I ever took as a, a session to really help me be effective in the, in the work world. Um, I took it through uh, SWE in 1985. Um, and the, uh, the woman who gave the seminar, I actually had at our national conference last year. And she did a seminar on work that was being done by Clance and Imes in 1978 called the Imposter Syndrome. And uh, this was research on high-achieving women. And uh, Clance and Imes found that their female clients were unable to internalize their accomplishments. External proof of, of their success, such as degrees, awards, promotions, responsibilities, they routinely dismissed. And they credited their success on luck, timing, perseverance, um, hard work, and otherwise fooling everybody, from their kindergarten teacher to their boss today. And uh, and hence the name, imposter syndrome. You feel like a fraud and you're waiting to be found out. So these women don't uh, enjoy successes and seize opportunities, which is a detriment not only for them individually, but for their employers. And if if you're a researcher and you just don't feel confident and you just uh, don't grasp the next opportunity, you not only lose uh, personally, your institution loses, and your profession loses. And women will also overwork to compensate for supposed deficiencies. So what are the symptoms? Well, first of all, women focus on strengths rather than uh, on weaknesses rather than strengths. And maybe this goes back to what I was saying earlier about uh, the guys uh, getting very excited about passing. Uh, a class. I can tell you that if you ask any woman in this room what kept her awake last night when she was lying in bed and tossing and turning, it was the one stupid thing she said that day. It wasn't the 20 great things she accomplished, it wasn't, it wasn't the positive, it, that a silly little thing will just nag and nag and nag and um, become uh, an obsession. Uh, Women, uh, don't ask for the necessary resources to do the job. Uh, we, when we took this seminar, I took it with a very good friend of mine, who now is her own civil engineering firm, and we listened to the story of a woman who was given an assignment at a remote, uh, a fairly distant location from her home to do a turnaround for her employer. Uh, to make a very long story short, she was working killer hours, uh, trying to deal with family and commute and the, all the work involved in this situation. Instead, uh, and in the end, she basically had a breakdown. She just couldn't take it. They put a man in her place and he said, oh, I'll do this. Um, I want to be put up at the same hotel for the week. I'll need a full-time assistant. I'll need this, I'll need this, I'll need this. And they said, okay. It never occurred to her to ask for the resources. So Judy Nitsch is in this class with me and about three weeks later, she's in almost the analogous situation. She lives north of Boston. Her firm has a a big project in Rhode Island, which is probably the minimum a two hour commute. And until the imposter syndrome, she would have just been driving back and forth like crazy. And she calls me up and she said, well, when they offered this to me, I said, well, I'll need to be down at the same hotel. It has to have a swimming pool. Uh, (laughs) I, I I need a full time assistant. She asked for almost the same list of things. And she said, they gave it to me. It works. And we t- we don't ask for resources. We give the sense that we have to do everything ourselves. And I stand up here and lecture you on this, but I mean, I go back to my office and I'll do the you know the same thing of uh, not asking for the resources to get the job done. I have three degrees. Only when I started working for SWEET did I realize you were supposed to go to the professor's office. I probably haven't talked to a professor a dozen times across three degrees. It never. That resource, that very valuable resource of time with my professor was something I didn't know I should have. So I think for you as faculty and as well as for the students in the room, for the students, they're a resource for you. Uh, For the faculty, invite your female students in because I think a lot of women feel like I do which is you only take the professor's time under dire circumstances. Uh, women have a lot of self-defeating attitudes in speech. We like to talk by saying, I'm not sure about this. I'm, you know, I just have an idea. Maybe this isn't right. As opposed to, I was out with God bowling last night and we came up <laughs> with the answer. And, and uh, it doesn't mean that we're less confident than the men. We have a different style of speaking. And what happens for us as female students is that we... Um, we don't uh, kind of stand up for, uh, for our... I, we sound like we're not standing up for our ideas. To other women, we sound fine. But to the men, we sound like we, we're not sure what we're talking about. We're not confident. And it immediately takes our uh, idea down a level. For the men in the room, think about you know, how often women s- uh, say this. Actually, at the Dean's Institute, I one of the deans come up to me and said, why do women never say excuse me when they bump into me? They, they always say, I'm sorry. We mutually bump into each other, but the woman has taken fault for it. And uh, so, you know, kind of keep some of that in the back of your mind when you're listening to a student talk about ideas. It's it's not a lack of preparedness. It's not a lack of confidence. It's a it's a style of speaking. We also don't take credit for our accomplishments. Turn around and uh, you know. Oh, uh, you did! You did a nice job. Oh, everybody helped me. It was a great team. You know, it's like no, those three clowns uh, goofed off the whole time, and I did all the work. But, uh, but, but we don't we don't couch our speech that way. And uh, I mean, something as simple if I said, you know, Kate, that's a nice blouse. Like, oh, it's it got on sale. You know. <laughs> You know, we never say, "Oh, thank you." I shot for three hours just to find it. So, so even the most simple, most simple things, we don't take credit for our accomplishments. And you know, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because it's true, right? I mean, you know, you praise any woman, and the first thing she's going to do is, "Oh, you know, it, this you know, twenty-course dinner was nothing." And uh, but when you're uh, first of all for the women, think about it. When you're talking to your management, or you're talking to your professor. Are you saying you didn't do this work? When you're talking to an interviewer about a job, and uh, uh, for those of you in SWE, an uh, interviewer says to you, I've done some, uh, oh, you see you're in SWE and you've chaired this committee. Don't say it's nothing. Say, yes, I, you know, I developed some good leadership skills. It gave me a great opportunity to do public speaking. Talk, you know, Talk about the benefits of doing it. Because if you say it's nothing, often the person will walk away hearing it's nothing. And for the faculty, when you hear women say that, you know, put a qualifier on it. Now, uh, this quote from uh, Peggy McIntosh, uh, which I can leave to you to read as I'm I'm talking, I really like because she talks about uh, just because women have these styles doesn't mean the style is wrong. And I think this gets to the value of diversity. The value of diversity is bringing different approaches and different styles into a room. And when we become white men in high heels, we may be more effective ourselves, but not only are we not authentic to who we are, we do not bring our group the value of diversity. We don't bring the value of um, different ways of thinking. So if I do come in and I say, I'm not sure about this idea. Uh, let, me, let me you know start to talk about it. That is much more welcoming for a team to talk about the idea than if I come in and slam my fist down and say, I have the answer. And uh, so I think one of the real values of remaining authentic to who we are as as women and having an environment that's inclusive of of women and all underrepresented groups is we're going to bring different perspectives, we're going to bring different approaches, and we're going to get better results because of it. So I'd like to wrap up with just um, a a few suggestions uh, for how we can uh, maybe change ourselves and and our institutions to uh, be more effective for women. First of all, to the faculty in here, I heard a great uh, talk from um, the Women's College Colloquium was talking about science. So these are all the the women's colleges. And uh, a professor there had the term technical confidence through technical competence. And it goes back to uh, the issue of not understanding what um, uh, some of the very basic skills, like I didn't follow my dad around the garage, so I don't necessarily know how to walk into a lab and use these tools. Uh, And if women can get get the understanding and the foundation in some of these basic skills, and probably a lot of other uh, students in your classes walk in with some of these issues, then uh, uh, some of these uh, early classes will be less threatening. Don't assume background knowledge that makes understanding uh, of a class or a lab hard. Uh, So develop some fundamental skills. Realize the computer use varies by gender. Uh, Girls do a lot more messaging and surfing, uh, more information exchange and um, talking than boys who do a lot more games. So girls may come in feeling comfortable on a computer but they use a computer in a very different way. Girls may never have the opportunity to pick up some simple technical drawings at Christmas and put together a, a toy. So things that you assume are not such a big deal, and in the end won't be a big deal once she gets a little bit of training, may be the one thing that turns her off in that very first class. Remember that, that women won't ask for resources. Women wait to be invited. So if you have a freshman project, where everybody jumps into the project, you know, if you have a team of maybe three, three uh, young men and one woman. The odds are the three guys are just going to dive in there and start pulling it apart and uh, lobbying for who wants to have what roles. Uh, as a, the women are just going to sit back and 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 wait, which I think, uh, okay, are, are just going to sit back and and wait and aren't going to. Uh, uh, you know, really get as involved in the project. If, uh, if uh, you do things with a project so that there's role playing, on the first week uh, person A uh, is the lead on the project. On the second week, person A does the note-taking. So that everybody gets a chance to participate in all the roles. Then you are inviting women into the projects. Uh, foster inclusion rather than isolation. What's isolation? Those are incidents that every single day a woman encounters that tells her she's different from everybody else. And the individual experience is trivial. Uh, But if you take them collectively and regularly, these are the behaviors that alienate women. Uh, Examples here uh, are uh, such simple things as uh, assuming that the young woman is going to be the, the note taker In a a project, Uh, not giving risky assignments to the female graduate students uh, so that she doesn't fail, Uh, not giving a young woman a a woman feeling a sense that uh, I can't communicate if I don't shout, my opinions aren't heard. My favorite is um, outside entertainment is playing pool and drinking, and uh, because I came from an industry where every single sales meeting we was drinking pool, uh, drinking beer and playing pool, drinking beer and playing pool. And one sales meeting, I finally said, you know what, I'm going to take all the women in marketing and sales. We're going to go out to a nice dinner. And, uh, and one of the things is I had enough uh, rank in the company that I was able to get away with it. And uh, so all the guys were immediately like, well, why can't we go? <laughs> and it's like, because you're drinking beer and playing pool. <laughs> and we're tired of that. And then they said, were well, you going to talk about us? <laughs> Well, there's about a million things we could talk about, but you guys are first on the list, yeah. <laughs> but um, I was actually telling this story for a uh, uh, professor at Johns Hopkins, who was concerned that he had a group of graduate students that he felt when they were, on the, that, that were doing some uh, uh, work where they had to travel regularly, and that the two women weren't a part of the team. And I told him this story. He goes, you know what we, we literally do every night? Drink beer and play pool. And so he said, now all of a sudden, how do we do things as teams that are interesting for everybody? Let's see. Okay, scoot ahead. Um, Communications. Women wait their turn to talk. Uh, With the exception of African American women, women in a group, everybody gets a chance to talk. They may be in violent disagreement, but everyone gets a chance to talk. Men, actually, maybe in violent agreement, but the way they're socialized is everybody jumps in. You, if you get a moment, you jump in. What happens is women are always talked over because a man will jump in and, and she'll step back. And what happens is our turn never comes. Or when our turn does come, we bring such a different perspective that the um, cone of silence comes down around us. <laughs> and <laughs> you're nodding. And it's like My mouth is moving, but obviously nothing is getting into those guys ears because there is no reaction. And uh, there are two kind of, uh, I think, interrelated issues in that uh, a group will tend to ignore something that they're not comfortable with. And the value we're bringing of our diversity is the different perspective, the different way of looking at things. But instead, uh, the group isn't comfortable with this difference, so the discussion dies. Now, I do want to make a note that African-American women actually have a different challenge. They come from a culture where uh, I've heard it said as um, uh, truth before peace. We're going to get the issues out on the table. We're not going to push them under the rug. And so what often happens for African-American women is they break the whole uh, image of women, and they're seen as being very aggressive when in reality they're communicating as normal for the culture that they were raised in. Okay. Um, I think I did that a little out of order here. Selecting um, inclusive projects. As you create projects uh, for your uh, classes, I talked a little bit about the the role-playing. Also uh, in your classes uh, and we were talking earlier today about how important um, um, interdisciplinary and multidisciplinary fields are to women. They're very appealing to women. In your projects is teamwork valued? Is partnership valued? Is, is, um, are there a lot of multidisciplinary components? Because these are the types of things that are going to be very ap- appealing to women. And do the projects have a positive impact? Uh, I think uh, we have stereotypical examples of things like building robots that fight each other. A young woman's going to say, why? <laughs> There's you know, no value of this. Uh, <laughs> but, what, well, what if a robot performs a service for a person? Uh, JETS, which is a high school program, has actually uh, got a, a new design challenge where they're working with an organization that uh, brings people with disabilities into different job functions. And they're doing designs to create processes or tools that help somebody with a disability perform a very specific job. That's the kind of a project that resonates with women. Um, What's the climate in your lab or your department or your, your classroom? Are there opportunities for women at all levels? Who are your partners when you do research? Uh, who do you collaborate with? Where, uh, which graduate students uh, get the plumbed, uh teaching assignments? I think these are some of the things that are really create a climate that you can control within your own environment that makes the uh, female students, be they undergraduates or graduate students, or your, uh, your fellow uh, female faculty feel included. And for, uh, for faculty, also show your commitment to, to your female students. I think one of the most powerful things any faculty member can do is legitimize the, the organizations and the programs that uh, support women and underrepresented talent by participating in them, by supporting students going to their events, uh, encouraging students to go to their events. Because uh, for somebody like me, I think a, a huge difference between do I belong to something or not is is it considered appropriate? And I and just uh, support of saying, yes, you can go to that sweet conference and, and we'll uh, move the exam so that you're able to take it at a different time, is a huge endorsement for your female students. For the women in the room, uh, uh, how, be you faculty or students, how do, how do you support other women? Well, I think, first of all, is we have to realize we don't need to compete with other wo- women and other, other represented groups. Uh, we, there's plenty of room at the top for all women. And I think the environment also often makes us feel that we're in competition with each other. Uh, Going back to my communication slide that I had a little bit out of order there. Um, In communications, when when there's silence in the room or uh, you can't talk, one of the most simple things you can do is legitimize another woman's conversation by asking her, how do you think that'll benefit us? How do you think that'll work? What do you mean by that? You don't have to agree, you don't have to disagree. All you have to do is legitimize her right to make a statement and turn that isolated statement into a discussion. Uh, participate in SWE and other forums to, to validate your experiences. I think one of the most powerful things you can realize is that you are not alone in how you feel. Every other woman is, feels the same way. And I wish you had this perspective. I do, because there's heads nodding. It's like a bobblehead doll convention in here. There's heads <laughs> nodding uh, up and down. To, uh, to realize that it's, you're not alone. All women feel this way. And as a result, become uh, mentors and support networks for each other. So, so with that, I just put up a, a, a few uh, resources that we have for some of our, our outreach activities. All of them can be reached by sweet.org. And I have just a couple minutes for any questions or, or comments. Yeah.
0: Let's thank her once again.
1: For okay. Time. Thank you, Thank you.
0: For information on other online Stanford seminars and courses, please visit study.stanford.edu. The preceding program was brought to you by Stanford on
1: iTunes U and is copyrighted by the Board of Trustees of the Leland Stanford Junior University. Please visit us at
0: itunes.stanford.edu.